who are doing that, and God is made to do that. And that's really the theme we're on right now, the imagers. We're looking at the first part of the Bible, chapter 1, talks about how God made people, made each of us in his image, like him, to reflect him in the world. Today we're talking about a fun topic, how and when to be divisive. All right? How and when to divide. When and how to divide. Not really to be divisive, but how to divide. You may be like, wait, that seems like our world's pretty good at that right now, right? Like, there's a whole lot of division going on. And that is true. I think it's important for us to realize, though, that as, as crazy as it is, it's not new. Division between people has been going on since very, very early human history. In American history, there's, it's been like this, too. Uh, those of you who saw Hamilton know that, our, that Alexander Hamilton was shot by a sitting U.S. Vice President. Okay, think about that. Sitting U.S. Vice President was in a duel with someone and killed them while he was in office. All right? That's pretty extreme. Actually, the election leading up to that, 1800, between Burr and Thomas Jefferson, was a tie in the Electoral College. It took 35 votes in the House of Representatives to determine a winner, and it didn't get settled. Things were a little different timing-wise but with the calendar, but it didn't get settled until the end of February. All right? So this is not like, oh, man, it's never been so crazy. It's been crazy for a long time. The most divisive issue in our history has been slavery. And that got really interesting, really dicey, especially right as the time as our wonderful state of Kansas was getting ready to come into the Union. In 1856, you may remember the story from your history books, but there was a U.S. Senator named Charles Sumner, and he gave a speech on the Senate floor, and he was attacking his Southern Democrat colleagues, and he said this, I just, I gotta read it, get it right. Um, he had charged one specific senator, Andrew Butler, Democrat from South Carolina, with taking a mistress who, though ugly to others, is always lovely to him. Though polluted in the sight of the world, is chaste in his sight. Wow, that's some pretty, like, wow, Senate floor talking about his mistress. Now, actually, he was not talking about a woman, but about slavery. But he was directly attacking. But man, these are like harsh words here. So one of, uh, one of that dude's colleagues got mad, Senator Brooks, and shortly after that beat up Senator Sumner with a cane, leaving him almost dead. They thought he was going to die. Two years later, 1858, the uh, U.S. House of Representatives was debating whether Kansas would come into the Union as a free or a slave state. They were debating the Lecompton Constitution, which would have made Kansas a slave state, where slavery was. And the debate was so heated, back and forth, it went to 2 a.m. At 2 a.m. in the morning, you know that a.m. is in the morning, I know, I didn't mean to say that, but there a fist fight broke out between two congressmen, and it became a brawl where there were 30 different congressmen trading blows on the house, the house of on the floor of the House of Representatives. And one guy, one guy got his wig torn off of him in the middle of all that. It was just it was crazy. So there's a lot of division. And we think like, okay, like couldn't they have couldn't they have been a little more civil? Yeah, that would have been good. But when we look at all this, I think, of course, that led to the Civil War, which was not very civil. But 
led to the ending of slavery in the U.S. And most of us would say, okay, as difficult as that was, we're glad that some people pressed the issue of slavery. That there was a huge injustice that was normal in our society. And it's good that people didn't just play nice at some point, but they were willing to be divisive over this issue. Because that issue was already divisive, right? That issue was already separating white and black. It was already subjugating the people incredibly. And so, you, at some point, it's not just about being nice, but there are issues where you need to take a stand. And so, the, so God does this. And he calls us to do this. And it's interesting, though, we're going to do, as I was getting ready for today, I, the, the message kind of went a different direction than I expected, because I just started looking in the Bible, okay, what, is, what does God say about this? And how does God divide? And it kind of went where I wasn't expecting it. It's not just, what I'm going to talk about this morning doesn't just react, we're not just going to be reacting to the issues of our society, about gender and prejudice and politics, although we are going to, it is going to relate to those things, but we're more going to try to be proactive at looking at like when God divides, how does he do that, and when and why. And so my hope, there is, I had 10 plus pages of notes for today that I had to just keep trying to shorten, so pray for me, I'm, we're kind of like going at a high level here, like putting the ideas out, and I'm trusting that God is just going to use this to help reframe our thinking and help us enter into, into our lives and relationships, um, representing him and helping be part of his bringing, his bringing heaven to the earth as he wants us to. I was talking to a couple of us were in a conversation this week. I won't say the name of the person who's in the room, but they were sharing how one of their family members, two of their family members, got in a discussion recently about politics and they're on different ends of the political spectrum. And how many of you, like me, have had these conversations in your family? You know, I, I've had a few. And when one family member asked the one they disagreed with, well, what's your, what, what are your media sources? Who do you listen to? And when they said, well, th- I listen to this and this, they said, well, then I can't talk to you. We can't, that's the end of our conversation, because you're listening to these sources, so we can't have a relationship. Wow, people are really struggling. People are struggling to, to navigate things. And God has better, better ways for us. So, like I said, high-level overview. Let's, let's pray. And trusting God's going to help us. Lord, would you help us? We trust you for revelation. We trust you that we would see more clearly the way you build in our lives, in our relationships, in society. And give us something practical. Lord, I pray that each person today would have at least one thing practical to lean into, to change, to change our thinking, to believe you more, to agree with you more. We trust you for that. Amen. Okay, why does God divide and how does God divide? Well, the first division, we're going to go through, we're, we're imagers, we're looking at the beginning, we're looking at Genesis, and so we're going to look at a few snippets from the first 12 chapters of Genesis. We're going to look at several divisions that happened in human history, mostly that God was instigating. Okay? So the first one is really in the the theme passage we've been looking at about being image bearers in Genesis 1.26, very beginning of creation. 
We read, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created mankind in his own image. In God's image, he created them. Male and him, male and female, he created them. So this is actually our first division. It's a division God made between men and women. Two different sexes, two different genders. And then God told them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule over it. You may be like, well, why, why do we need to talk about this? Well, um, oh, dude, I skipped ahead. Matt, I'm making your life really difficult. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if we can just flow with it. All right, sorry. Um, we'll come back. But so the first good division was between genders. Actually, I'm just going to go back. Let's just do that. <laughs> so before all that, the starting point was God, was we need to understand there's one creator and one human family. One creator, one human family. In Genesis 3.20, we're told that Adam, first man, named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. So the starting point in all this is that there's one creator and he made one human family. We're all descended from one set of parents. Now it's interesting to me that even among Christians, sometimes it's easier for us to believe that we're all descended from one amoeba or one chimp than one set of human parents. You know, it's popular, and, and Francis Collins in his, his book about the language of God, it really pushed this idea farther that, well, there wasn't one human parent, there were like, had to be at least 10,000 pairs for this to work genetically. But there's plenty of science that would say, no, that's not really good science. You know, and it's funny how we're more, we are easier to believe that we came from one amoeba than from one set of human parents. Um, but it's important, that is just really important theologically, because that means we're all part of the same family. We all have great, 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 great grandpa, Adam and Eve. That means that there aren't two races, or five races, or ten races. Ultimately, we're one human race. And that's, I want to make that point, because I, I think we have been so like conditioned to see different groups of people as being essentially different from us. And that's an idea. It's important to realize that, yes, there are differences. Our differences are big between different people, people of different descent, people of different cultures. But our commonality is so much greater than our differences. And actually, the idea of, the idea of race has been used to separate people like little else in human history. It's interesting that when you look at the book, one of the books that's changed the world the most in the last couple hundred years, Charles Darwin's Origin of Species. The subtitle of that book is On the Preservation or the, Pres the Origin of Species and the Struggle for Survival, or Origin of Species by, common, uh, by Natural Selection, or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. Wow, you see how just inherent in evolutionary Big E theory is this idea that there are different races, and there are favored races, and there's this competition 
between them for limited resources. This, these ideas have fueled so much division when we see one another as essentially different. Um, now I know there's a whole, I actually have had multiple conversations with people of, of different descent. That's actually my preferred word right now versus race. I don't really like the word race, but it's, I think descent is a more biblical word. To see that we come, there are people who come, there are differences among us, people of African descent or Asian descent. There, we have common, different, there are ancestors that are common to different people, and so there are family characteristics. And so there are things, even medically, that you know, there are people of common descent have, have common medical ailments, or some treatments are better. So it's helpful to see there are differences, but it's bigger to see that we're one human family. Tracking with me? I love what, what Shelby Steele says in the documentary, Who Killed, Who Killed, Who Killed, no, Who Killed Michael Brown. It's a great documentary. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix, and I would highly recommend it for everybody. It really looks at the prejudice issue, the race issue in America. And Shelby Steele, who is an African-American, says, we human beings never use race except as a means to power. Race is never an end. It's always a means. It has no role in human affairs except as a corruption. America's original sin is not slavery. It's simply the use of race as a means to power. Whether for good or ill, race is a corruption. Always. And so, I don't want to squabble over, like, should we use that word or not? Personally, I'm trying everything I can not to use that word. I want to talk about prejudice and culture, and ethnicity, and descent, when we're talking about. But, but the idea is, it's important to realize we are not different races. We are, we, are, we are ultimately one human family. Okay, so that's the starting point. The first good division is what I already talked about, gender. God made people in his image, and then he made us male and female. This is the first thing that's said biblically to describe people. We're men and women. And it's tied in to the idea that we are made in his image, male and female, he created them. This is so deep. There are things about our masculinity and our femininity that reflect God's image, that reflect God's nature. So for us, for me as a man to be the image bearer God's called me to be, it must be out of, as a man. And for a woman to reflect the person and to point to God in the way that we're made to do, that comes out of her, your womanness, your femininity. Um, now, there's so many, just like a zillion landmines here, right? Like, okay, what do I say next? Where do I, I'm going to blow up any second. But... It's because it's tough to define masculinity and femininity. And there are a lot of, a lot of mistakes that are made. There are not, it's, you, as soon as you say well, masculinity, we think it's easy to think, well, that's machoism, right? It's just like, yeah, he-man. And, you know, no feelings. No, that's not exactly what we're talking about here. Or we see the extremes where you feel like, well, I don't naturally, the things that are maybe like stereotypical feminine or masculine, like, that's maybe not my natural wiring as much, and that's okay. Like, it's, it's a spectrum, and it's not exclusive. Like, we're, we're humans. We're all related. But there are some, I'm just going to throw out a few things that I think we, I would stand on. 
that do define what it means to be a man and a woman. Being, and those of you who are in living waters, and if you're not in living waters, do it next year. It's, this delves, there's so much wisdom in, in this about what it means to be a man and a woman. But Matt, the essence of manhood is initiating. There's a, resp- there's a calling for men to, to initiate things. There's a calling on women to be responsive. That doesn't mean that women don't initiate and that men aren't responsive. No. But even if you look at our biology... There's, I remember my first year in college, being in Western Civ class, and the professor made fun of the idea that our biology had anything to do with our purpose. You're like, well, would you say that about anything else? Would you say that about an anteater? Like, oh, no, biology and structure, that's all, like, irrelevant. No, like, our biology, it, 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 it points to things. Um, so there's something about men that are initiating, women responsive. Um, men... There's strength. That's a, a strength. Women, there's a, a, a tenderness and beauty that is connected with womenhood. With manhood, there's a call to, to being warriors, protectors in a, in a way that is unique. With women, there's a call to be nurturers in a way that, as hard as I could try, it's never going to happen. It's a good thing our kids... I, they don't just have me, all right? They would have been dead long ago. <laughs> and again, but this all goes back to the nature of God. The, wor- the word, one of the most common words to describe God is his attributes is merciful. God, merciful and compassionate. That word merciful literally comes from the word for womb. Wow. There's something like in God's nature as a merciful God that's connected to the, what a womb is. And represents that a place of, of hospitality and being accepted for who you are and nurturing and raising up. There's a wonderful book by Daryl Miller called Nurturing the Nations. I recommend that one to everybody. It talks about the power of women's calling to nurture the nations. And, and with, without that, man, we're screwed. We're messed up. That's so, so important. Um, so, but the Bible also says that God is a warrior. There's something in the nature of men to, to war and fight that is unique and is good, but it often is, is undermined, and, and we're confused about that. So we, it is a good division, our division between being men and women. Um, there, it's interesting that the, the purpose of this, at the end of the, this creation mandate, is in Genesis 1, 26-28, is, okay, you're, I make you men and women, now be fruitful and multiply. There's something that happens when we live fully as men and as women and then come together, and we see it obviously in the family, obviously in sex, but it's bigger than that. There's, the goal is to have babies, to produce life. And when we are not being fully ourselves and relating to the other the appropriate way, life is not produced. It's interesting that, you know, the, the lie for so many years, for the last couple hundred years, big lie has been overpopulation is going to destroy the world. And we don't have time to go into that. But the real risk today is underpopulation. The underpopulation is threatening our, the world. In, in Japan right now, there was an aging population. And, and really, it's like the modern mindset that's so much focused on my life and how do I get what I want and consumerism and lack, there's, so, 
that there's, it's not conducive to having children, it's not conducive to, to coming together as families that reproduce and multiply. In Japan right now, once there's the, the, the population is declining quite steeply, and it's going to go farther. And America is we're we're lower than the birth than the birth rate needed to, to sustain. And all of the industrialized world is like this right now. Um, most not even the you know even places like Iran now where you think like oh they'd have lots of children there like no it's like 1.7. It's it's not enough to sustain. Um, in Japan right now, there one in eight houses is empty because there just aren't people to live in the houses that have been built. The prediction is that in 12 years, 2033, there will be one in three houses in Japan will be empty. So they're like animals moving into towns. I mean, it's just crazy. But that's, so anyway, our, it all, it really matters. This, God knew what he was doing. Um, second good division, I've kind of been hitting on this already. Genesis 2.24. Second good division is, is the division of families. In Genesis 2.24 got a familiar passage at weddings. God says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Well, where's the division in that? Well, it's interesting that when, when a marriage happens, God's pattern is that you, you form a new family, but there is a division from your old family. You leave father and mother, and you start a new unit. Okay, that's you know, interesting. Why are you talking about this so much? Well, I think this is really important because it points to just the way God builds. God is all about, because basically what God's pattern is, is for that family, for that husband and wife to become a king and a queen over a new little kingdom, a new domain. And they are called to provide leadership and create an environment in their family, the basic building block for God is the family. And we're so wired to think that the basic building block of society is the state. It's the nation, but God doesn't think that way. It's, it's families. And so, it's in natural, so there's this calling of like, wow, I'm called to, to rise up and govern a little area. So this is true in our families, but it's also true in how God works with churches, how God, works, how God designs businesses. It's not just supposed to be like big everything. But small businesses are so important. Small family businesses are so important. Churches, it's not about how big can we get. I mean, we're all called to be the big universal church. But it's more about break. It, ultimately, it's the health of us is how many small groups do we have that are smaller environments, where how many people are functioning as ministers and reaching out to others and raising people up and having these spiritual communities. That's, that's how God, God's second good, divi- good division is families. Okay, um, it's really, I'm just going to move on. Third division is not a good division. The third division we see in scripture is destructive division. And this is, I'm not gonna, we're not going to look at it today, but it's the division that happened in the third chapter of Genesis, where Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they turned away from their loyalty to him, they were divided and then, immediately, they were divided from one another. As soon as we become unfaithful to God and we become self-centered, our relationships with others are devastated and damaged as well. 
And so sin leads to broken relationships with God, with one another, and with the environment. Um, we see, you know, the, the first several chapters of the, the Bible, or after chapter 3, we see just violence, warfare, murder. We see the division that happens when we go our own way. Um, all right. The next division is Genesis 10, and this is what's called the division of nations. I'm just going to read a little bit of this here. Genesis 10. This is after the flood, and so the world was down to Noah and his wife and their three sons and their three wives. So it was kind of starting all over again. And then chapter 10 of Genesis is what's called the Table of Nations. It's how all the nations of the ancient world came from those three families. Genesis 10.1, this is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's three sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. Verse 6, the sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, Put, Put, and Canaan. Uh, in verse 22, the sons of the sons of Shem, the second son, Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lad, and Aram. And then in verse, verse 32, these are the, or I, I skipped something there, but anyway, yeah. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. And you may be like, okay, well, this is one of those bio, chapters in the Bible you just kind of like skip over, right? It's a bunch of names, seems irrelevant. But it's there for multiple reasons. And the things we've been talking about, one, to see that we're all part of one human family. It's the family of God. And then our differences, nationally, come not just from, it's the first nations were families. And the, the different physical distinctives, even, that we would see in the world come from, it was more like, hey, Shem, like, he had these characteristics, and his wife, and they kind of moved this direction, and their kids had more of those kind of characteristics, and Ham's family had more of these kind of characteristics. And so it's not, it's not different races, it really, the way we think, the way that the connotation of that word, but it's just different families that, you know, like Reagan and I, like one of us, I don't have a lobe on my ear, and she's got a lobe. You know, it's like they're different physical characteristics, but they're in different families. Um, so it's important for us to see like that's, that's really so there are distinctions but bigger than that is our commonality um, the other interesting thing about this is there were 70 different nations listed here and in ancient Mesopotamian literature and religion it was understood that in, with, among, and it was different with different religions but like in the worship of Baal there was Baal who was the high god and then there were 70 different members of the divine council, of his divine council. And so there were spiritual beings that were associated with these gods. And so the readers, the ancient readers of this would have realized, oh, these, it's 70, that's an important number. And oh, we know that these people, they worship that god. And they would have seen that they came, as the people spread out and disobeyed God, they became loyal to the different gods who were understood to be in that, in that mindset. So that's the division of nations. It's originally, you know, it's a good thing, kind of. You know, it's spreading out the way God wanted it to be. But 
then they became unfaithful to God and became under the power of different gods. We could say a lot about this. Um, it's interesting, I just want to say this, that in the story of, of Babel, the next chapter, and we, we might look at this later this spring, but the tendency of, of people not following God is not to spread out like God commanded and be small units around the world. But they said, hey, let's, let's make a name for ourselves and be one city and all consolidate together. One big state. And God said, no, that's the opposite of what I want. You're, you're being prideful. You're not being faithful to me. And so he had to disperse them around the world. Okay. Um, you guys tracking? What else is different? Um, I want to talk next about God's, in the midst of this, though there is a, a different kind of division that we could even call it a word that doesn't sound like division. We're going to call it reunification. God's, how God begins to reunite people back to him and to his purpose. And in, in Genesis 12, we read the, the call of, of Abram. We read, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. And go to the land that I will show you, and I will make it you... I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we see most of the world is forgotten about God, not in relationship with God, under other gods. And God said, you know, I need to bring about another division to accomplish my purpose. I'm going to call a people to myself. And God chose the man Abram, and he lived in modern-day uh, Mesopotamia, probably Iraq or that area, and they followed other gods. They worshipped the moon god and different gods. And God said, hey, I need you to, I'm calling you to leave your family, leave your community, leave your culture, leave your loyalties, and come to another place that I'm going to call you, and I'm going to make your name great, and you're going to worship me. And this was the beginning of God calling a people to himself. This became the people of, of Israel, who were God's people. So for us to, to become the united people we're made to be, it has to be centered around believing loyalty to the one true God. And so that's what, what God was doing through Abraham. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, this was very much the same, the mission that he was fulfilling through his life and death and, and resurrection. But if we think about Abram, like, that, was, that was a real cost, right? Like he had to leave a lot. It didn't seem very, it was a division. He had to leave all of his relatives, people he knew, his friends, in order to start something new to be part of God's real reunification. And oftentimes when God calls us, when he's building his unified, he's bringing his, his kingdom into the world, Sometimes it feels like, wait, that doesn't feel unifying. That feels real divisive. And Jesus, man, if you read a lot of what he said, it doesn't sound so nice. Here's, here's one example. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said this, Matthew 10, 34. He said, Don't, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Wow. 
That's intense. Following Jesus, build, be this part of this process of unification. It involves us making decisions to follow him that sometimes produce conflict and division with the people closest to us. But it's an inevitable part of following God. And he says this, verse 37, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Wow. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So the same is true. When we, if we're going to follow Jesus, there are some decisions along the way that create division, at least for a while, with some of the people close to us. But if we don't do that, it's like, you know, just coexisting with slavery. There have to be some hard decisions to come into this. So I want to just break this down a little bit more. Because um, how does this work? How does, what, what does reunification look like? How do we do this? Um, so three, three quick points here. First, we've got to find our identity as a child of God and part of God's human family. We've got to find our first identity. This issue of identity is so important. It's who do I see myself as really? Am I getting my identity from my career from my family, from my ethnicity, from my descent, from who am I? Well, every human being, our first identity is, should be as a child of God and part of his human family. When the gospel comes to us, this is what happens. It brings all sorts of different people together. Galatians 2.28 says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you're all one. In Christ Jesus. So all those other divisions, they become so secondary because the one thing that matters is we are a son or daughter of the one true God and we are one with, with all of his family. So that's, that's a huge identity question. Do I see myself first as a man, as a woman, as this or that? No, our first identity is that. Second aspect of this, the thing we've got to do is, is leave other gods. To be reunified, we've got to leave other gods and have no allegiance above Jesus. In Matthew 12, Jesus was teaching and his mom and siblings came to that area and someone told him about it. said, hey, your mother and brothers and sisters are here looking for you. And this was his answer. He replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So there's this, man, re-identifying, realigning, having no, making sure there's no other allegiance or identity that's more important to us. And that looks different for each of us. And then, this gets really cool, though. This is really important. Then, when we have the first two in place, then we can live out and embellish our secondary God-given identities. So we get the first in place, like, man, I'm a son or daughter of God, part of your family. I'm turning away from everything that would take away from that. But, you know, I am a man. God, I, I need to grow in figuring out what that means. And loving you and loving others as a man. I am an American. God bless the USA. Yeah, okay, what does it mean to, to serve God as an American? Whatever, whatever you know, family, 
ethnicity, descent, like those are all things that matter. And it's good for us to, and actually each of those things has something really unique to bring to, to the table. Um, I, through this, um, the, in, in Ephesians 3.10, I, I love this, this verse, it says that the, multifi- the multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God's plan is that the multifaceted wisdom of God would be made known to the spiritual powers in the heavenly places. This is talking about, in this context, it's Jew and Gentile, Greek, all these different cultures, but that every culture has something to bring that is unique, that is a strength, that adds something, that cultures are God's idea. He doesn't want one monoculture in the world. It's good that we have all of our different cultures and ethnicities. There are, there are things. I, when I was a kid, my, fa- my family was planning to move overseas. And we had, we had taken some trips. I'd gone to Mexico a couple times, and I loved it from the time I was very little. We had a lot of Hispanic friends, and I was like, man, I would love to live in Latin America. Really cool culture. Um, but then my parents decided they were going to go to Kenya. And I was like, oh, Africa, like, that sounds great. I mean, God, you know, all the, whatever. My image of Africa was, was wonderful. And I thought that was going to be great. And then they changed their mind, and they said, no, we're going to go to Taiwan. And at first it was like, well, where's Taiwan? What is, what's this Taiwan you speak of? And Taiwan is a small country in Asia. It's a very, uh, very Chinese culture. And there was probably... Of all the major cultures in the world, there was probably none there that I, would, I was, had less natural affinity towards than Chinese culture. I just seemed like so foreign, so different, so like the language, just couldn't understand, and it was like, oh man, I don't, I don't know, but we went, I mean, I was still excited, and I honestly felt that way for my whole six years living in Taiwan. I was like, I just feel like such a huge cultural difference, but it was good. Like this culture that was the most different than what I would have wanted. I'm so thankful I got to be living in that environment and coming to, to see things and learn from things that are completely different from how I think. And that's really the beauty of the church. It's bringing people to de- together in different, different cultures, different ways of thinking, and bringing the strengths of that together to reflect God. Through this, God is, is made known. Okay. Um, that's a lot. I'd love to hear questions, but we don't have time. Um, if you want to get lunch or something, hit me up. I'm free today or some other time. We'd love to delve deeper. Here are just a couple real quick. Like, what's your application of this? These are some possible applications. Maybe one of these will, will hit you. Um, questions for us to ask. One, where's my allegiance? What loyalties do I need to cleave? Cleave like, play on words, like cut, in order to cleave to something new? Do I need to receive my first identity as an imager and member of God's family? Really, like, count on, lean into that. Maybe it's to grow in my understanding and, and gift giving of my gender. Say, okay, yeah, this is, man, I really need to lean into that. Um, maybe it's to own my, my second tier family, ethnic, descent, national identities without idolizing them. Maybe it's to learn from the other gender or from other cultures, or people of different descent, 
that have strengths that are different than yours. Um, maybe it's to serve and extend the multicultural family of God. I think that's true for all of us. So, all right. Run with it. Looking forward to hearing some feedback. Have fun. Ginny, you want to bring us home? <laughs> all right. All right. Well,